This is Bail Street, Crime, Finance, and Everything in Between. Hosted by Ira Jettelson, bail bondsman to the stars, and Danny Moses of The Big Short fame, this is Bail Street. Hello, everyone. We're back with all new episodes of Bail Street. I'm Danny Moses. I'm Ira Jettelson. And our friend John Lieberman has dropped in, too. We have a packed show today. Uh, Malik Yoba is here. He is a he That's is him. he is many things. He is a professor. He's an actor. He's an activist. He's an entrepreneur. He's a singer. He's a songwriter. He's an investor. He's a father. He's a writer. That's a lot of hats, Malik. And he's a he's an inspirational speaker. And uh, as I was looking him up and doing the research on him, I felt very small here. So now that I have something to live up to here. So that's already a positive on the show. A key issue we're going to focus on today is both bail and prison reform. Uh, it's going to be a major topic going forward, and certainly we have the right person here to talk about it with Malik. So let's get started. Bail Street, on the street. On this week on the street segment, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the stuff that's happened this week for me. Uh, I had uh, Conor McGregor in my office uh, last week. Yeah, yeah. How'd yeah. that work out? It worked out well. He didn't look me. out for that guy. He tried man. to take me down the first half I'm hour, sure. but I, uh, yeah, I did pretty good. Happen. Yeah. And you're losing weight. Is that how you're losing weight? Yeah, I'd stay running away the from Connor. Connor. Yeah. <laughs> I was running from Connor. For Trying to get of. down to his weight class? Yeah. You got about 100 you gotta to go. You got to see his 100. hands. You have yeah. to see his hands. Right. I've never, yeah, his hands are huge, and that's what makes Connor so special. But Connor came in to check in. Um, they're trying to work out a plea deal over in Brooklyn right now. And obviously, his uh, his co-defendant Cian Cali also came in, and uh, Connor came into town with his uh, with his family, and uh, he checked in like he's supposed to do with me. So that was kind of cool. And uh, I'm also working on the uh, Harvey Weinstein case. Um, I know, I know. By the way, he must have had some hard time in jail. How many? Uh. How much time did he spend in there before he got out? Harvey, uh, he was in for about uh, 11 minutes. Okay. So uh, <laughs> yeah, we we got him out relatively quick, but that's a long time. He did a big bid. Is that white privilege? Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Big time. He did a big bid. He did big a big time. bid. We couldn't even put. Commissary money in before he got yeah, out. Right. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he he came out and we, you know he's on an ankle brace with me, so he's uh, he's checking in periodically. We're checking the bracelet. I have my tech people looking at that one, and um, obviously that case is still going on. And what I really want to talk about, obviously too, is the uh, Robert Durst situation that's still going on out in California. Now I did Robert's uh, his bail here in New York, and um, it, it's a crazy situation. So. You sit there and you never know what people really are, you know, and you hear different stories about what allegedly he did. And I use the word allegedly because it hasn't been proven yet because he keeps getting off on different cases. But um, I'm sitting in court and uh, he's got his hands tied behind his back and uh, I'm with his attorney and he looks over to me and goes, when the fuck am I getting out? And I said, Robert, calm down. You're going to be getting out in the next 20 minutes once I, you know, I do the bail. He says, I want to get the fuck out now. And he's grinning his teeth. And I said, hold your horses, I'll get you out in a sec. And he turns to me, he goes, make it fucking happen. I go, knock it off. Else I swear to God, I'll walk right out of this fucking courthouse. So he calmed down. Within the next half hour, I get him out the door. He walked out. He goes, I can't thank you enough. It was Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. It was Jekyll and Hyde. Now, I do want to introduce him to my wife and see if that works out well. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> Seems like his time. Yeah, just let her hang out with him for a little while and see if she comes back or not. But... Uh, that's what's going on in my, my street world. I got some other stuff that's brewing too. Uh, got cases that are coming up. Uh, I really can't talk about them right now, but they'll be happening. And, uh, and, uh, you know, obviously the, the Connor situation hopefully will come to an end. Let me just ask you, Ira, does every famous person in the country have you on speed dial just in case they get in trouble in New York? A hundred percent. 100%. I'm on the NFL speed dial. I'm on the uh, major league speed dial. I'm on all lawyer speed dial. 
Uh, I, I think the the Actors Guild might have me on speed dial too. Right? Yeah, we'll see wow. what happens yeah. with that. You ever wow. say no? Is there ever a case I you'll do. say no? I do say no. I do say no. I get about ten to fifteen calls a day. And, wow. Yeah, and I basically referrals. Yeah, well, referrals. I get calls from Rikers. I get calls from Brooklyn House of Detention. I get a lot of collect calls, and uh, it's all risk management. And you know, when I when I hear somebody inside and I feel they're honorable, reliable, and I speak to their people on the outside, then I'll take a risk. But then you get a lot of calls where people are just not honest with you. And when they're not honest with me right off the bat, boom, I dead him. I, I will give Ira credit, though. I've right. been with him when, you know, it's a $1,000 bail, $5,000 bail. He's not making a lot of money, but right. he'll, he'll see it through. You know, he asks the same questions whether it's a small bail or a big bail. Whether it's a thousand right, dollar right. bail or a six million dollar you know, bail. Listen, I, do you have I, any collateral? That's it. Right. And he's, it doesn't have to always be collateral. Just be honest with me. Right. I'm I'm an ally inside. I want to take you out. I want you to do the right thing. I want you to fight your case from the outside. I want you basically to have the, the chance to be home with your family and, and 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 get to court and find the lawyer and talk to him about whether it's discovery information you found in your case or what the true story might really be because we all know. There's always three sides to every story, right? You know, and uh, and I want to give that person or or whoever it might be the opportunity, but you got to be honorable with me. You got to be honest with me. Uh, you know, I'll be I'll be an ally, but if you fuck me, I'd rather not be your ally. Hey, fuck you, fuck you, me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you. Bale Street, the interview. Maybe that's a good uh, segue here to uh, bring in the, our star guest Malik Yoba here. Maybe start with bail reform and prison reform and work our way back. I know you've been an advocate for kids for years since you were back back in high school helping kids stay in school and so forth and you're very passionate about helping people I can't believe you community. started at such a young age to do this Malik I mean you started at 15 16 years yeah, old was, being an advocate I was um I think part of it just comes from my father um he was that dude you know I grew up in East Harlem um and if you walked in the hallway and there was a piece of paper a wrapper from a candy said pick it up well, I didn't put it there. Well, you live here. Pick it up. So that basic idea about take care of the spaces you occupy and the people in them. Um, came home from school one day in elementary school. There were two kids living in our house. The mother had a psychotic break. He had taken them in. Grew up with, you know, there was a guy that had done an eight-year bid on uh, a false rape charge. And my father took care of that family while they, he was locked up. So he was false. He was in prison for for eight for, years. Yeah, and so just growing up in an environment where um, there was a lot of caretaking of not just your family but the people around you, um, and then I was that kid in middle school that kids would come to and tell. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but you know my uncle molested me or you know whatever it might have been. So I was always that sort of empathetic ear, and then uh, you know in a real corny way as a kid I just loved the sound of kids playing in the playground, the sound of joy. You know, that just did something to me and just made me want to feel like working with kids and being a creative um, young person that talked a lot in class, got in trouble a lot for talking or <laughs> being, you know, disrespectful or whatever. Um, I also felt that teachers didn't know how to teach me. And so I well, that came out of school wanting to study early childhood education. And, and so at 16, I started tutoring kids, and it's just kind of going from there. Can we back up? You had a... Uh near-death experience when you were 15, mm -hmm. and that really changed your outlook on life, correct? Yeah, man. Right in midtown Manhattan, 50th Street between 8th and 9th, where Worldwide Plaza is now. That used to be a big parking lot, and I went to Park West High School. Um, I wanted to go to performing arts high school. My father wouldn't let me. He didn't, you know, <laughs> like most parents, don't want your kids to go. And he was a jazz musician that didn't, his dream was never fully realized, so he was doubly, you know, determined not to let us go down that route. But 
I ended up having to go to uh, Park West High School on the up on like West 50th Street and leaving school one day. I'm walking in the street. There's a fight, and next thing I know, I get pushed out the way and push the kid back, and another kid, you know, comes up around me, grabs me around the neck, tells, and another kid. So it's three kids, and tells um, third kid to shoot me. Shoot you. And so I got shot. Uh, it was a graze wound on my neck, and uh, that changed things. You know, I was, you know, I, I tell my father, look, man. If I was in the performing arts high school, I wouldn't have gotten shot. <laughs> yeah. So I need to uh, now. Now your daughter is in the performing arts school. At least well, one she's of, now Laguardia. Or? She wasn't Laguardia. Okay. Now. She's now in FIT. I just finished her second year. But, um, but yeah. So that's that's kind of yeah. That changed my outlook completely. And um, you know, I've always had a passion for service. And you know, it, it, it and having had you know those experiences growing up in Harlem. First time I had a gun put to my head, I was twelve. You know, and there was a guy that was in and out of prison. Like the dude Wallace, who grew up in there, he was that dude. He like, you know, I messed with his cousin, you know, just you know, playing around. Like, don't fuck with my cousin. Puts a gun to me, my head, and I'm 12. Like, shoot me, go do it. Right. And just because a lot of it was because of the father that I had. Like, my father was a serious disciplinarian, um, corporal punishment, and so I didn't care who you were in the street. Like, you, I, I didn't start shit, but you definitely weren't going to punk me. What, what did your dad do for a living? He was an x-ray technician. He worked okay. at Albert Einstein Hospital uh, in, in the Bronx, Bronx yeah, and Montefiore, right. and worked at Harlem Hospital at one point. He used to run a clinic, uh, or the radiology department in a, in a clinic in, in Harlem. Um, and so, yeah. So everything in your life kind of led up to playing a law enforcement officer 16 times in uh, that's, that, in film that, movies. That, so that is, you've done your research. I like, like that. Yeah. New York Moses, Undercover. Yeah, that's man. what I do. New yeah, York. no, that was, yeah, man. That, for me, New York Undercover, you know, that, for me, to be a kid who grew up in New York City, particularly who grew up with the birth of hip-hop, um, and got to shoot a series not just in the city but also in the neighborhood I grew up in, in Harlem. Um, that that was incredible. Um, from 26 to 30 years old, 94 to 98, um, and what it did in terms of um, just laying the groundwork in terms of my career. Because actually, what's what's interesting about that? I was originally um, I was doing an episode of Law and Order, and audition for New York Undercover while I was doing Law and Order, and the original role was for a thug. Okay. But I knew this girl that worked at the casting agency, and uh, she she's like, you know what? I know you're here for that role, but read this other one. That's awesome. And the role, if you remember that old Law and Order, it was my character is based on Michael Jordan. I was a baseball player whose father is, has a gambling problem. He ends up dead. And I, I saw that, that episode. episode. Yeah, yeah, I like that one. And so while I was shooting that episode of Law and Order, I auditioned for New York Undercover. And had I not played that particular role. It would have been a whole different ballgame. Although, the same casting director that cast me at Cool Runnings also cast New York on the cover. And so she said, as soon as she read the, the role of J.C. Williams, she said that she had the right, me in mind for it. But it's, you know, just all, all worked out. It's funny. We've told um, both Dick Wolf and Tom Thayer that we're doing this, and we've met them both separately. Yes. I was at his daughter's wedding not, not yeah. too long ago. Uh -huh. You can imagine I, it was pretty I good. I had to deal with Dick, too, and I it was pretty good wedding. on it. You deal with Dick? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. What, what, and I was going to uh, do uh, one it, of your books or, or well, a TV you know, show? No, after I did the my book, The Fixer, I, he came to me. Bestseller. Yeah, right. yeah, I think, well, there's... Among seven, at least 17 people. It's, no, it's, nine, it's up to 19 copies that were sold. Yeah, yeah. 19 copies right <laughs> now. 
But uh, Dick came to me, wanted to do a reality show, um, and I couldn't do reality because of the world I'm in. All right, right, right. So, right. you know, right. I did a deal with Showtime and uh, to do a fictional show, but they made Ray Donovan instead. They so. stole it. Yeah. Yeah. They stole it. Stole. You know that happens. It out happens, there. man. Yeah. It's, a good it's a wicked business. Yeah. So, out of all the parts that you've done, then throughout, we can list them all. But mm-hmm. there's many, many to list. What was your, you know, what looked like favorite? maybe playing MLK had to be one of the coolest things across uh, Angela Bassett in 2013. Yeah, yeah, that that was ama- that was amazing, actually. Um, yeah, because I've never played. Um, uh, other than I mean, Cool Runnings, they were based on the real guys, but right. I took you know sit and meditate on old speeches or more interviews and conversations because the character none of the scenes were like speeches it was all the stuff that we never saw about him um that was amazing that kind of deep work you know in terms of preparation and just hours and hours and hours just listening and falling asleep listening to his voice and and you know wanting to honor that and channel that energy and all that that was amazing um, there have been a few. I mean, New York on the cover for sure because of what that role. I mean, that role transformed television. That that series transformed television and doesn't get the respect. Right. Even I mean, it's, it's funny you said Dick said you want to do a TV show. Yeah, the, I get asked daily, multiple times on social media in the streets. When's the reboot of New York on the cover happening? It's got to happen. And there have been scripts, and I've had deep meetings with Dick. Right. And, and there was even a production company I was willing to do a. a reality show like a true crime series oh really uh, based on actual crimes in new york and then use that to sort of launch the interest we can so do it together he comes to you and says he wants to do a reality show but wouldn't do the show based on new york on the cover and that's one of the things about this business um i mean with all due respect to dick but it's a no-brainer to relaunch that show and so when you think about power plays and business which I, what's one of the things I love about this show? I told you guys I've listened to a few episodes. The the dynamics of how power really works and who has it and sure. how they exercise it and you know the narratives that need to change. Um, New York Undercover is a prime example. Like I can't tell you how many young people became law enforcement officers because of that show. Not just black kids. I had a guy right. at the Gotham Comedy Club the other night, a white kid, Jew, Jewish actually, who's a lieutenant. He was like, oh, I grew up on that, I love that show. And you know, I hear that all the time. I did. I was doing a movie in Turks and Caicos and for the BBC and um, playing law enforcement. And <laughs> I go hang out with a local guy and I'm asking him all these questions. And, and after about 20 minutes, he goes, you know what? Everything I do, I got off of you. Wow. I was like, how old are you? He said, I'm 33. But how he dressed, his whole desire to become a cop. And so when you think of a show like New York Undercover and what that meant in terms of the relationship with the urban community and law enforcement and how we were able to transform lives for real, like how many young men grew up with no fathers and saw that role, the relationship I had with my son. Um, and to this day, I mean, I had a guy who, you know, tagged me on Instagram on Father's Day with this artwork he had done based on TV characters that black men who were fathers on television. And he, you know, I loved his work. I'm, you know, working on another project where I might be able to work with him on something. And I had a conversation with him. I said, he was like, I grew up with my father. I'm 30 years old. And even though my, my father was busy all the time, but how you were with your son on that show really made me want to have that kind of relationship with my father and now i'm about to become a father and i think about that so especially for people of color um black men in particular um 
or black boys that don't have that father at home really need that. And so the, I'm proud. I'm 50 years old. I started. I did that character between 26 and, and, and 30. Um, so I love that character. I mean, there's many, but most, most recently, The Last OG. Um, yes, yeah. th- that series with Tracy, Tracy Morgan, yeah, Tracy. because he's playing a guy that's you know re-entering, just got out, and and so especially around the work I do around prison reform, and it um, just got re-upped for a second season, correct? Uh, it was always it was always yeah. going to be re-upped. <laughs> you know, yeah. So maybe that's Making a good a uh, segue to take it into prison reform. And prior to doing that, I'd love to get your thoughts. Just obviously with Trump and what's going on around the country, him really emboldened. Uh, you know, white supremacist, not to get too extreme, but it has gotten pretty bad. And but Yeah, man, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm a corny dude that believes in love. Like, you know, uh, you know speaking of Gotham Comedy uh, Club, I want to give Chris Maselli uh, some props. Actually, the owner of Gotham Comedy Club, um, he sees me getting my ticket and goes, Malik Gilba, right? Yeah, yeah, I was a day player on New York Undercover once. You were really nice to me, man. And so anytime you come here, I got you. That's nice. But that's the point. It should just be for actors and famous people. But that, right? the point is nice. Fuck, fuck the actor part. Yeah. Right? It's the, it's the nice part. Yeah. And so it's why you pick up the garbage in the, in the neighborhood you live in. And why I, I think I gave you guys props off the air. Why are you doing the show? I hear levels of conversation around enlightening people to how fucked up shit well, really is. Well, you know, and, that's a good segue. And I, I don't mean to cut, you know, you talk about being nice. And in my world, obviously, uh, as I said before, I get 10, 15 phone calls a day. And, you know, there's a monetary situation as a bail bondsman. That's what I do. But if you see sometimes the faces uh, of the family when, when that loved one comes out or the people that you're helping that don't sometimes have the financial means but are able to scrape together, get that loved one out, it brings joy to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not every day that you know you're dealing with with these situations but there are a lot of times that i you know i've dealt with cases where i've been like wow i'm really happy and you know you talk about prison reform i'm very involved with the innocence project yeah. you know i deal with with, yeah. with with barry sheck and those people and i've mm-hmm. done at least probably anywhere between eight to 15 bails over the years of people that have been Wrong, incarcerated or wrongfully yeah. you know convicted mm-hmm. plus i have friends very good friends that have done 21, 25 years that are inside and come out to me and now are doing prison preparatory, which are helping right. people prepare for prison or state prison or fed prison. Right. And they come out and say, all right, you have no idea how many innocent people are incarcerated. Right. right. Well, I mean, back to the nice thing. I mean, we, the good thing about living in 2018 and social media and even, you know, the current administration is that it's revealing to people in such a visceral way on a daily basis how misguided so many policies have been since the inception of this country. And we've never made amends for how we were founded and what the principles were, which was, no, you can't have all this shit we have. Fuck you. Work these fields for free for 400 years. And fuck you for trying to pull yourself up from your bootstraps because we're going to make sure that you can't buy a home redlining. We're going to make sure that you don't get the proper education you need. I used to work in 13 high schools when I was 20 years old. And I still do a lot of work. I got, I'm a vendor with the DOE now. I still do a lot of work in education. I did a teacher training last week in, in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. I still do the work. And the resources still are not there. The opportunities still are not there. 30 years later in the city that I love, 
I'm born and raised here. I went to 13 high schools in New York City. I mean, sorry, three high schools myself as a student. I went to Park West High School. I went to Julie Richmond High School for the Talent Unlimited program after I got shot. And then I graduated from City S School right here on Clarkson Street. And so knowing that, you know, just the education system alone, just take that. When I was 20 years old working in 13 high schools, 250,000 young people were in the, in, the, in, in the public high schools at that point. And as a 20-year-old, I could never understand why I could be in East New York, Brooklyn, and see, you know, metal detectors and, and kids wilding out. And I'm in Curtis High School in Staten Island. And I see computer labs and foreign exchange programs. I'm like, what the fuck is that about? Like, as a kid who didn't understand politics and the economics of it all and the tax base. And, and so compassion you know for each other you know again why i've appreciated the stuff i've heard you guys talk about because you're talking about big business like with the amount of money in new york city alone <laughs> and why there aren't the proper partnerships with the finance community the business community i was reading an article on the ceo of salesforce um and which is a company i don't do business with but i love his philosophy yep. around the first day of work we're taking yeah we show you the bathroom we show you your office but you have to go do volunteer work you have to understand that if you're going to work for this company, that you are part of a community that you must serve. It's not just about the, sh the shareholders, but it's about the stakeholders. And everyone has a stake. And so the fundamental um, structure, like, again, you guys talk about, you know, regulations and the crash in 08. And, like, why do these things happen, right? It's because it's based on you can make a lot of money. And money is you know the pursuit of money itself can be a very very you know uh evil, evil. this endeavor this i will say wall street you know it, it has its negatives but one of the really big positives is the robin hood foundation there's absolutely all, there's yeah. a lot of programs that yeah. are run out of wall street and people do give back and sometimes it gets lost in the we need to room. elevate that conversation and i think it's the kids to your i would love your opinion don't even understand the opportunities that are out there for them they just accept things at face value say okay this is how it's going to be i'm just going to well even the, take the doe for instance like so you know i do a lot of work with um this is an, organiz uh, an amazing uh, or, uh, program called Urban Ambassadors. I just spoke at the graduation on Friday at the Schomburg in Harlem. And that comes out of an office for um, specifically set up to um, fill the opportunity gaps. So when you think about that, <laughs> why do we need a special program to fill the opportunity gaps? Why don't you just do that? from the beginning right. make sure everybody has what they need when i worked in those high schools from 87 89 richard green was the the chancellor rich and uh, dr richard green first black chancellor of new york city um whose focus was making new york city public school system the most youth focused organization in the world unfortunately the night we handed him the research after three years of doing this work he passed away so that was never executed upon. Uh, did Trump murder him, by the way? How many years ago was that? <laughs> Could have been. Tried to get a house, apartment in right. Queens. <laughs> right, exactly, right. right. It was May of 1989. Oh, um, but, you know, I'm just, I'm like I said, I'm corny that way. I believe in love. I believe in, in altruism. I believe in service first. You know, um, although I've had an incredible opportunity as an actor for the last, I did my first film in 89, right here in New York. Um, I'm seriously passionate about nice and you know, how can I help you help me help you? You know, how do we lift up a generation of people um, to understand that, yes, you have to, you, the work you do is important. Yes. But it's, it's the symptom 
of a much larger problem. Absolutely. You know, mo- I would imagine, what's the racial breakdown of the people you serve? Well, I would probably have to say 70% ethnic, yeah. you know, 75% yeah. ethnic, yeah. unfortunately, yeah. you know, and, and it, yeah. it's out there, you know. It's on purpose. That's why we got to shut down Rikers. Well, you know, again, <laughs> if we shut well, down Rikers. Why don't we talk about that? Hey, this is Malik Elba. You're listening to Bell Street. If they shut down Rikers, what do you do? I think. Th- Where are you going to go with it? Well, I think the bigger issue is when you look at when we have a, commu- a, a commitment to building things in this city, whether it's the Meatpacking District, I live in Brooklyn, you know, whether it's what's happened along the East River, you know, on both sides of the river, on, on the West Side Highway. When we have a commitment where uh, obviously there's going to be capital gains, right? Sure. There's, there's, there's a real estate issue. Uh, you know, I think that we have to be committed to taking care of the people. And so we know, I don't know the numbers, but how many people in Rikers Island where it's more of a mental health issue? How many people on Rikers Island are there because they've come out, they've violated parole, but it's just because they screamed at the neighbor and the neighbor called the cops and they're back in because, you know, they were late to see their seat, whatever it might be. You know, the, so how, what's the percentage of people that are in there that actually aren't in there for crimes? But if it wasn't Rikers, it could be another prison with the well, same situation. No, but I'm then just saying, we right. spend one hundred ninety-four thousand dollars a year keeping people. Spend one hundred ninety-four thousand people dollars per student in New York City now. Let's do it on the front end. Why does Shaka Senghor, who writes "Writing My Wrongs," have to discover his genius in solitary confinement? Why? And he's he is a genius. And the stories go on and on and on about this. And so, as a person of color who has had the opportunity to portray law enforcement to be on the side of storytelling to be on the side of uh, in mass media and changing the narrative and to who also is in you know working with urban ambassadors and sees these young people that are blossoming just because you gave them the opportunity having that level of commitment to humanity just to say you know what as a kid growing up for me in harlem i used to walk through down lennox avenue i used to work in PS 96, which was on 120th Street between 2nd and 3rd Avenue, I was 17 years old, t- tutoring kids. I'd get off from my job. I had a, a job in, t- in Time Warner Center. I mean, not Time Warner Center, at the Time Warner Building. Uh, then it was just Time, I think, actually, in, in Rockefeller Center. And my job was to expedite the lunches in the restaurant. And then I'd take the train or ride my BMX bike up to Harlem. And I'd purposely walk down from 110th Street to 120th, then I go east, and I would just imagine what those burnt-out buildings would look like if people, because you look at them and you go, these weren't built to look like this. Right. Why do there have to be poor people in New York City? I'm leaving Rockefeller Center to go to Harlem in the 80s with the crack epidemic, and I'm walking down Lenox Avenue and go, one day, man, and this is why I wanted to be a developer, because I would look at the communities that I was working in or used to live in and go, this has got to change. And if people have the will to do it, they can do it. And I've been stuck on that from the beginning. And especially when it comes to education, like I'm, you know, why I work with the DOE now, you know, because as long as I know there's resources and there's young people in need, you have to be of service to that. And I, I don't understand anything else but that. Makes sense. I know I'm long-winded, but I'm, no, I'm so no, passionate. Good, I love the passion. We we're love very, passion. We're very yeah. passionate. We're very passionate. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're, I can tell you this. 
Wall Street is now starting to get on board, which is a good thing with bail reform, prison mm-hmm. reform. I'm getting calls now that if people listen to the show that know my background, uh, we just had a meeting. I, I love the and I big did. short, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, all right. Thank you. It's, good, it's a good movie. Good movie. A, it's an amazing movie. I mean, on so many levels, like the way it was shot, the way it was edited, performances, but the the information. Yes. Like, the, I mean, the way that Adam McKay was able to give that information. And have you met him before? I haven't. I'd love you to meet him. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll we'll get him on the show. No, yeah. we're gonna be his next movie. Yeah. yeah. All right. Making a lot yeah. of stuff. But uh, Wall Street's now trying to figure out. So there's a big movement on Wall Street with you know environmental. Social governance, ESG, they call it, mm-hmm. in terms of trying to figure out how to invest and do the right thing by investing, because that's mm-hmm. a big theme now. And within that theme, take it for what it's worth. If people want to make money off of it, who cares? Let's right. let's right. fix things. And so Ira and I went into a meeting Maybe. with Venture Capital, wants to figure out how can I get involved with Promise or yeah. Can we? Jay-Z's can I go to your next meeting? Absolutely, sure, absolutely. This no, is going to be a. You really, guys are my new, but uh, I'm. I'm. What do we do? BFFs. It's done. We're tight. Like by the way, tight. And it's, uh, I mean, and I fell in love with you listening <laughs> this morning. I'm telling you, you guys think I'm bullshit. Listen, and no, I see it in your eyes. I really man. appreciate it. What I was hearing. On like I want to meet some of the other guests like Mike Lewis. I want to meet the woman Murray's daughter. Yeah, Stacy Richmond. Richmond. And, yeah, I mean, and if John doesn't do people. a good job in this show promoting it, we're yeah. going to hire Iconic to you know kind of <laughs> get the PR going and do stuff like that. Yeah, that's so. that's, that's now defunct. But that's another. Oh, story. it is. Yes, yeah, we, we yeah. can. We can. But I, I, you know, I don't work Iconic with my partner 33? anymore. But I, I've always done the work. Like I, I partnered with someone who was trying to do the right thing, but he comes from a corporate background, and uh, I think he's used to being comfortable. Like with a check, a guaranteed check. I've been making my money off of my passion and my art for 30 years. And so not everyone's guy. built for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You would have loved the Fat Joe episode, by yeah, the way. Yeah, you need to that's listen. That's my dude. Joe, that's, Joe's you would have loved what he said about the Bronx growing yeah, up and, yeah. and so forth. I, I will say, boy. so Hunts Point Alliance I was involved in for years, mm-hmm. sponsoring a kid, you know, putting him into a private school, watching him go to college. So I, Good for you. I mean, that's a small You're taste, a obviously. Manch. No, yeah. You're <laughs> a manch. My 96-year-old grandmother holocaust survivor still just had her birthday still speaks about the holocaust always says you'll, you'll love this phrase malik love brings love and hate brings hate it's, and it's she's so simple a, it's so simple that's so it simple. you put out the love like you said yeah. you get it back you put out so hate simple. that's what you're going to get back and right so now simple. this world is divided into two different categories treat others like you want to be treated yeah. yeah or that and that yeah well some people want to get fucked so there yeah. you go <laughs> <laughs> Malik, you've seen law enforcement from so many different angles, yes, from a, as a crime victim, as mm-hmm. playing law enforcement. How do you address the mistrust of law enforcement in many of our communities, um, particularly from young black men, but from, from a lot of different people? I mean, people? you know, I, I was reading, I was actually with uh, D. Ray McKinnison, you know, the activist, ter- teacher-turned-activist, um, yesterday, and he was give me all kinds of crazy statistics on how law enforcement agencies around the country uh, do their business. Like, I think, I forget what city or state he said it was in, but there was something about, like, if a year goes by when the uh, officer is under investigation, if he's not proved guilty, then, like, you can't retry or some, some kind of ridiculousness. Bottom line is I think it's a multi-pronged approach. Um, again, I'm in the storytelling business, and so for me, I personally use my position as an actor when I play law enforcement to make them as vulnerable and as sensitive as possible and as human as possible because I'm not just representing law enforcement, I'm also representing black men. And that, you know, there's a disconnect, you know, like, you know, Tamir Rice gets killed because we aren't seen as human 
for 400 plus years in the in a country and that's a narrative that started you know that was really really propagated through birth of a nation the original one when you think about that right the black evil man trying to rape your white woman that's how emmett till gets killed and so we have a history in the storytelling but just take that piece alone right movies books television shows uh, the like where the objective has not been to humanize people that look like me and so the ironic place i find myself in is i get to play these characters and so personally i've never really had a whole lot of hate from cops even before this even you know so 20 years old, leaving a meeting. City Kids Foundation was right by, down the block, by the way. It was on Leonard Street, 57 Leonard Street. Um, and was leaving there, went to the McDonald's on 4th Street and 6th Avenue. Some kids are messing around with the folks that work there. One of them threatens them with a water gun. Someone hears guns. They call the cops. Cops come in. Um, we run out. And I was a little upset with myself because I wanted to actually intervene with the kids before it escalated, but I was like, ah, I'm chilling. This they got a water gun. How bad can it be? Someone thought it was a gun. Cops come in. We get separated. I was dating this Peruvian girl at the time, blonde hair, green eyed chick. A presenter's just Anglo woman. We get separated. Police captain's in between us, and I tap him on the shoulder. Says, "Excuse me, she's with me," um, and they were treating her fine, and. He he goes, don't you fucking touch me. And he smacks my hand off my uh, my hand off his shoulder. Before I know it, four cops, all white, right on you, right on me, pounce on me, throw me against the car, um, lock me up, take me to, over to the precinct on on Tenth uh, or Charles, whatever that Tenth Street on, in West Village. Handcuff me to a chair for a few hours. Um, cut to they finally let me go. They it was like disorderly conduct or whatever, and somehow they let me go. Cut to I'm at a meeting with all the city commissioners, um, uh, and it's, you know, Lee Brown was the police commissioner at the time, and, you know, was the commissioner of the Department of Youth Services, and, and I'm 23 years old, and um, I raised my hand. Lee's talking, and I say, excuse me, you know, as a young black man, and they're all talking about what they need to do for young people in the city, particularly young people of color. Um, and... I said, as the youngest person in this room, I'd like to have the opportunity to speak. And he indulges me, and I say, you know, I work with these kids. This is what happened to me. I want to know what you're going to do to make sure this doesn't happen to young black men like me. He hmm. goes, call my office. I was like, no. Walk up to the podium, hand him my card. You call me. And he called me. And we had a meeting right here at, you know, police plaza. And I ended up working with the City Kids Foundation, training police officers around sensitiv sensitivity training with, at the police academy. That was in the 80s. Clearly, Eric Garner proves that not, not much has changed. But I think that as much as it's, it's again, multi-pronged approach, I think that when things happen to us, I think that for those of us that incline, it's okay to take action and, and try to move the needle from the perspective of the victim. I think that we've got to tell different stories in the media. I think that this why this podcast is important. you got to provide the platform for people to keep it really, really real. But it goes back to the compassion thing. How many places do we humanize people that look like me? And I think that's that's just the work I'm doing as an individual. But I think it takes all of us. And, you know, it takes a willingness to just say, 
we, this can't be like I, and I think people are feeling that now the, the people the best phrase I heard is someone said uh, where are the parents right now that's what America feels like right now yep. like the parents are at home and shit is well you I mean you have a great attitude and it's, it's the only one to have and I think that with this whole Trump movement these people always existed when I say people I'm saying you know people that are now have a voice or a platform to talk about hate and, and so now you're going to create I think a big movement to your point we have Midterm elections coming. I'm not going to try to predict that, but that being said, we are now planting the seed. I think for a revolt, or at least I would call it a revolt, uh. humanizing this process and really trying to educate people, and it brings it to the forefront. It was always there, yeah. But now it's getting put. To yeah, the and I think itself. you guys can do more. I mean, you know, bring on other black folks in business that are doing it. Like, why are we doing out? Like, we, the development in Baltimore is called Center West. We're rebranding this entire area in Baltimore. Uh, it's the first new development. In community in poor communities in over 30 years right in august we have 262 class a apartments opening we will go there for the opening and broadcast yeah, we, I, from I, there. I, I would love to do that we because there's a huge you know blackrock is in the deal oppenheimer's in the deal we're talking to some other big banks so the stuff that you guys talk about and the why so meeting with the marketing company down there you know they say we meet with a lot of developers that talk about they really want to you know, do for the community, but we don't really see anybody doing that. I was talking to my partner yesterday. I was like, dude, we should give away an apartment. Right. Like, no, we should. Yeah, why not? Like, we should give away an apartment. Someone gets an apartment for a year for free because, and and you have to make bold, compassionate moves of like, yo, I'm in the give a fuck business and I'm going to show you like this. Like, you need this and this is going to be fly and you're going to live next to this fly dude right here whose father is a lawyer or whatever and you cross pollinate and you give the opportunity and you have access and you say let's all fucking win let's all sit at this table and win you know and yep. it's just I'm smelling li- I'm smelling live episode John right from Well the, look both. that's my hometown and to hear that is just so amazing to hear somebody because there've been a lot of people over the years who've come into the city they've said we're going to do x y and z and yet those blocks that they promised to redevelop right. are still, still burnt out row Kevin, houses yeah, there's a that lot. is the forgotten well, land. and it's, it's not, trust me we've had this property for 14 years we broke ground January of 2017 <laughs> The roadblocks that were put in place to just get there, these are young men of color that own, that are GPs on this. This is not some big white, you know, it's not the Greek dudes, the Italian dudes, the old heads that have been there. This is, they're like, this is a billion dollar project. And wow. they're saying, no, 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 no. And we're going to put this obstacle and we're going to, that is real. That is, and that's America, and that's what you guys talk about. Even you're talking about what white folks do to white folks, just in business. Sure. Like the big short. I mean, that wasn't necessary. That was people saying, "I can make as much money as possible. Fuck everybody else." And listen, there are you know there are actually repealing stuff now that protects minorities. The CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which protects minorities and others, un knowing about the charges that are that are coming on their credit card or their mortgages, late payments for cars, cars are taken away. This is now getting repealed. I mean, these are protections that, are, that were put in place by Liz Warren and others that are now getting repealed to this stuff. Um, but Kevin Plank at Under Armour was able to build all this downtown. I'm wondering how they, that They brought up a bunch of property right adjacent to where we are okay. uh, in Baltimore. Yeah. But they got yeah. through quicker in the process, you think? No, no, they, they haven't... Uh, they no, they've started behind okay. us. Yeah, yeah, they've yeah. done that in the last few years. And and Ray Lewis has actually been pretty involved in in a lot of the community uh, outreach as mm-hmm. well. There, 
Yeah, I haven't had a chance to talk to Ray, okay. and I've been trying to actually about this specifically. But, um, yeah. So, Malik, so you have a show at the Apollo Theater coming up in October 2018. Is that still on, or is yeah, that happening? Yeah, so I've been really busy. What we decided to do is do a sh- kind of stripped-down version of it. Um, the date we have right now is October 18th. Uh, it's called Harlem to Hollywood, and it's my life story. Um, and the, the show, the real, the full show is uh, set in a the therapist's office. And it's me sort of recounting the journey, also in the context of a nightmare or a dream. And it's music. It's the character of Gladys Rosenberg. <laughs> Therapist is to us, okay? Would you like to meet Gladys Rosenberg? <laughs> Geriatric podium instructor. <laughs> therapist is to us, okay? Can Sounds like it? my therapist. <laughs> so it's... Yeah, Lithgow did one on Broadway. You're doing yeah. one in uh, the Apollo. Yeah, it's Harlem to Hollywood, man. Yeah. That's the name of it. So I've cool. always felt it has to be at the Apollo, and and so working with the Apollo Theater Productions to get it done. And so in October this year will be kind of a stripped down version. It'll be more of the music, and it'll be a work in progress and a conversation. And the bigger conversation is about mental health. Back to the Rikers question, right? Right. Like so, why, particularly people of color, like it's important to, you know, show that. Like to be vulnerable enough to know to say, you know what, I'm gonna well, they're open talk up a, about my shit in, in public. They're, they're trying to do different uh, mental health facilities in, uh, around town right now. I was involved with a, uh, I am involved with a group right now that is opening up maybe 700 beds. That we're trying to do something in the yeah. Bronx where they don't get shipped to Rikers, and that what they do is what'll happen is they'll be able to plea possibly to uh, a felony originally. And then get to replete if they complete the mental health program right. where it doesn't show up. And and uh, I, I think it's a great idea because a lot of these people don't get their meds inside. And a lot of these people get lost inside. And listen, we can go back and forth. with you know We could talk about it. And I know. Got to close th- Rikers, though. We got, I mean, because it's inhumane. This whole, the, the, more than anything, listen, I understand that, you know, there's a lot of talk about the mental health piece that's happening on Rikers is one of the best examples of what can happen within, you know, the criminal justice system um, for people with mental health issues. But that's a separate issue, right? But just this idea that it's okay to continue to lock people in inhumane conditions. It's not just people are away. Like, if I've been to Rikers. I used to teach in Rikers out of high school. My father taught there for yeah. 35 so, years, Malik. Well, 35 God years. Him, at God ARDC originally. And things have changed. God I mean, we used to come him. home, and my father, I say to my dad, What's going on? He goes, You don't want to know. God bless him. I have a friend that just, you know, retired as a CEO, and he still refers to his life now as I got released. Right. Because even for the people who work there, it, you know, it's 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 a horrific situation. I think that again, you know, the largest penal colony in the world is Rikers Island. Yeah, it is, and I mean that's insane. And again, well, hopefully, hopefully now with a lot of different reforms, which obviously we go back and forth on. Obviously, me being a commercial bail bondsman. I put you out of business. Yeah, I don't want to be out of business. <laughs> you're going to go into the you're ankle bracelet. You're going to go ahead. You're going to no, segue no, no. right into I the didn't. entertainment business, well, Ira. No, no, this no. guy we, is entertainment. Look we, at this guy. you got to understand that, again, I am on board with low-level misdemeanor situations where people should not be incarcerated. But we do need bail for a certain people. Right. Absolutely. But we, uh, absolutely. We, we absolutely. have to have – there has yeah. to be accountability. No, this, this. It has to be accountability because, as we talked about before on uh, off-air – is that judges and DAs and different people in the system are privy to more information when they see cases right. come up. But I do agree, Malik, that obviously there, there is a problem in it. There is a flawed system, and they're working on it. And I, I'm, 
trying to work on it too because I'm I'm, I'm hedging both bets here. You know, as as we talked about, and uh, you know the ankle. Is that races. what happened with the big shorts? Is that what hedging both bets? <laughs> yeah, a lot of hedging was going. <laughs> a lot of hedging. <laughs> you know, you know, it's always about the money at the end of, of the course. day. Of course. No, no. But what I'm saying is that. I'm not optimistic for the future of the economy in the United States, obviously. I can't believe that. <laughs> and so the, you could argue that the cost of these prisons you know, outweighs what would be the benefit of Absolutely. fixing this. And so it's yeah. an easy argument to make. I mean, From a cross-perspective. Yeah, Absolutely. It's, it's easy. So whatever it takes to argue to get there, uh, we, will, we will certainly do it's that. It's got to be a happy medium somewhere along the line. Um, well, that was a. I didn't learn enough from you guys. I was running my. Well, mouth. we can hang out. No, so no, you're gonna no, go no, teach no, me no. some stuff, man. I'm, no, 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 no. I've listened, man. I, I want you guys drop a lot of important stuff. Well, teach you know, me something. Oh, T, what do you want to know? Ask me. I'm a about question. to teach know, you something about private to prisons. All right, talk I'm gonna to wrap me. this up with private prisons. There you go. So, right, yeah, before we let Malik go, I think we have to ask you. You've mentioned hip hop a few different times, so right. it begs the question. What's the deal, baby? What's the deal, baby? Going to freestyle, baby? Yo, yo, Mr. Engineer, you ain't got no motherfucking track. Let me tell you, I can mumble rap. I should have mumble rap? No. Yeah, do it. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Imagine Good. we have Kaplan yeah. on the show, but... Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Who's your favorite hip-hop artist? Ah, uh, man. I generally don't have a favorite anything. Cause I like a lot of people, man. Um, is this the top five question? Yeah. On the wings of love, only the <laughs> two Jeffrey of us. Ah, uh, uh, man, there's just so many, man. Uh, M keeps popping in my head, although he, he's not like my number one. But this, I mean, Biggie, Pac, I mean, oh, Biggie, you know, the, I'm the class. I mean, you know, Rakim. I mean, there's so many. Lupe Fiasco. Um, You're going way back. Uh, but this, I mean, there's so many nice, nice, nice cats. Fat Joe, there. obviously, has had Fat one of the yeah, You know, there's, we got yeah, a I mean, little we'll Bell Street synergy. We're going to have Tony Yale. Yo, speaking of Fat Joe, big pun. I mean, big. It, oh, like, man, when you talk pun, about lyricists, oh, like, pun was, some of the best lyricists ever, I mean, you know, big pun to me is definitely one of Joe them. Joe was shaking know? up with that whole situation yeah, back yeah. then. J-Lo uh, was right there for him. Right there. Yeah. So this this has been well. Maybe for the food. Baltimore opening, maybe we should have a hip hop concert down there and bring. Some well, we want to do. We want to make some noise. We definitely need it. to make some noise. Make so some noise. I would love to talk. Even we got Lieberman. There. We got Mr. Baltimore yeah, here. That's right. He's going to do it. Do you still have family there? Yeah, I still have. I have Raven season tickets. I have family. So when you listen, I, when you come to get to see the game, you need to stay in Center West, bro. Absolutely. No, I will. I will. I still have a ton of friends down there. Anybody moving? You know, Anybody need a new place? They want to. Because white folks move to that side of town, you gentrify the neighborhood. Come on, help us out. <laughs> <Yeah>. Gentrification <laughs> in a good way. Well, my mother, Black developers, white residents, yeah. a whole new look for gentrification. Well, Malika, I got a Jewish mother-in-law down in Florida. I could ship her down I there. Lo I love her. <laughs> <laughs> She'll love it down there. So that wraps up this this uh, Se segment here. Private prisons, what happened? I'm yeah. doing it right now. Okay, I'm going into go. it. Hey. I decided to do like a Segway thing, okay, right? There you go. Can I talk about Perfect. it? Perfect. Go ahead. Let's what hear it. What are you going to do all, all day right, long, so this guy? You know, breaking my balls <laughs> over there. Let me talk so, to you about private prisons. Yeah. What are you going to do? Private prisons. Let me tell you something. <laughs> There's two of them. There's two publicly traded private prisons who have made a fortune. I'm just, let me just tell you this. So you got you got Corrections Corp of America, which has oh, now yes, changed yes. their name. Hold on. To Core Civic, they changed their name. You can run, but you can't hide. That symbol is CXW. Then you have Geo Group. Both are REITs, too, real estate and well, you know, investment yeah, wow, trusts, of course. Wow. So they get all that tax treatment, right? Wow. So the day that Trump was elected, the day before we thought Hillary Clinton was going to win, these stocks were at 13 and 14, respectively. What are they, like 260? They went to 28 and 30, respectively, the day after, the weeks after the election, when they realized that should have told you what was right. going to happen, obviously, in the prison system, because Hillary ran on, I'm going to shut down prisons and so forth. So that, you know, Wall Street was right. obviously caught uh, uh, napping on that one. So... They are benefiting. They are running these immigration facilities, these companies. They yep. target Texas, Arizona, California. Yeah, They're the running them right all, now. right? 
So every time you see a news news event and, you know, they're talking about, you know, putting more people in prison on the border, et cetera, these stocks go up. And when there's when there's rhetoric against it and a fight against it, they, they go down. But the bottom line is that the government convinced people and these these prison companies have a lobbying group, obviously, they're, they're painting the pockets of a lot of these politicians and they've convinced them that taxpayers are saving money. It's actually the opposite. Yeah. Taxpayers are losing money on this one. These private prisons aren't run well. Mm-hmm. Security is lax, cleanliness is lax, all the resources are worse. And they're turning around and charging ICE, and which is part you know, Department of Homeland Security and Department of Justice, a lot more money because it's easy to tack those things on as there's a lot of middlemen and so forth, companies that are, you know, caught in the middle. So it's all a farce in terms of that that they're taking the load off of the government and so forth to run these things. So it's about on the federal side, private prisons are about fifteen to twenty percent. On the state side it's like seven to eight percent overall it's near ten percent private prisons of total but they're the high volume areas high price areas and so you know these these two stocks cxw geo if you just watch them those are names that you know if if someone believes that this prison reform is going to happen or bail reform is going to happen and so forth you want to be short these things obviously but you don't need to know more and wall street as you know turns out to know a lot more before anybody else does because it's inside baseball a lot of cases so those are two two names i would watch and and you know that's gonna be an ongoing theme so i have a question for you because it crosses party lines right because 20 years ago i was a reporter in albuquerque new mexico we had all these prison uprisings. All the prisons were run by Wackenhut. I don't know if they're still yeah, I remember if, they're, them, but, yeah. if they're out of business now or whatever. So why has it remained like this for two decades or more with the private prison problems? And it, you know, crosses party lines. It crosses. You well, know. it was. It had a ton of momentum to basically reverse course before Hillary lost. I mean, you know, Obama had set the table to kind of start this process, and so it just wiped this whole thing out. So, lobbying group one. You know, they're, again, donating. You can look at the super PAC on what they've done you know, with a lot of these politicians, especially in Texas, especially in Arizona and so forth. And so now they're getting their payback here, so to speak. But the movement's there. It will happen. It will undo, whether it's after the midterms or after the next election or whatever's going to happen. So it's certainly something that I would certainly watch. And there was a private company, which is really gross, called um, uh, Securus. And they were taping convicts' phone calls and turning over that information to prosecutors. So, well, a couple, th- hold on, a couple thousand, and it's deemed potentially to be illegal because it, it was a one way conversation. So, that's in the courts right now. So, you have, you know, you have 1,300 conversations that were taped, and they gave the evidence. So, I'm talking to you, you're my father. I'm saying, yeah, I may have done this, may have done that. Those are private conversations or to, to your lawyer, and they turn those over and use them as evidence against them. And so, these cases may end up getting thrown out. But they, the, the they, point is that there's. I think when you get a call from out. prison, they do say it's being taped. Every right? conversation from prison is taped. They let you know that. They let you know that. I get every, you know how many phone calls yeah. I get every day? Yeah, they tell you and that. I, and I, they, I just start off by saying, I just want to let you know this conversation is being yeah. taped. But there's an announcement, like when you say, when you were free. Yeah, yeah they, they let you know, it, but but you're saying what they, they do with them it. Over, what they yeah. do with right. it. Being taped, but then they turn it over. Got it. And it's got out of context and so forth, I'm saying. So they're going to rule on it soon, so we'll see. Well, maybe Durr should have thought about that before he went to the bathroom. Right. He loved being on that show. So Did you ever work with Harvey Weinstein? I did. I did four movies for Harvey. Did you? Yeah, did uh, when I see first one was smoke blue in the face ride and then Copland. He didn't hit on another cop. He didn't hit on you, I assume. <laughs> no, he didn't. But I've I heard stories of Harvey for a long, long, you know, long. Him, Cosby, all those guys, and you know, just how we're complicit. I think, you know, like you being in the business, you hear these stories, like not the drugging women stories, uh, but certainly, I had my own experience with um, Cosby and his with an ex girlfriend of mine. Um, which really? was heart—it was heartbreaking. Yeah, man. 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, but yeah, it's just it's what happens left unchecked. You know, I'll never forget Dawn Steele, who produced Cool Running, said to me, you know, be careful of absolute power because absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that's always been in the in the back of my head and sometimes in the front of my mind. Right now, especially that's yeah, just because yeah. you know it's unfortunate. I just think that you know they're human and they they're they're given the right conditions many people are going to do what they did yep. yeah, but I think that uh, back to the compassion care love nice give a fuck business talk no really I mean I, and, and Harvey was the type of dude who you know he he has a reputation like he would not just not see you like I'll never forget I was in the lobby of the Peninsula Hotel Oscar night some years ago and it's Ashley Judd actually was there and it was me and the um, hotel manager and um, his nanny and oh boy and uh, oh old I don't know what the old boy was about but no she was uh, <laughs> you just know. painted quite a picture I, by the way I think the I hotel think manager was, was a foursome a with a no it was no, just a four it's just one yeah. of those moments where you know you do four movies for a person and right. he literally walks down and doesn't see you I'm yeah. like the only black dude in the, lo- in the lobby and Walk he right talks to you. Ashley talked to the, the nanny and didn't talk to myself or acknowledge the hotel manager. Absolutely. I'm like, dude, I've, like, re- like, what is that? What I don't know. I'll tell you what it is. To was... quote a great line from, I think it was Goodfellas, schmuck on wheels. Yeah. That's what he is. Yeah. He's a schmuck, schmuck on, wheels. on wheels. He's a schmuck Maury. on wheels. Maury was a schmuck Maury. on wheels. schmuck on wheels. So, yeah, no. Yeah, so, yeah, but I mean. Karma, baby. Things I come hope, back. Uh, yeah, I hope he uh, yeah. gets it together at some point. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know uh, about that, but. We'll... You, you hope. Yeah, you we're hope. rooting. Yeah. Well, I want to ask Malik one question. You're so passionate about everything you bring to the table. Your kids the same way right now? No, one is, and so my my son actually is absolutely he's he's quiet passion I guess because he is committed to his golf and his music. But nah, I was talking to actually an attorney this morning that my old family court attorney actually, and just about just where we find our children, and I think that there's a hunger that. I had as a kid that I don't see in two of my three kids. My middle daughter has it. Right. No. He's definitely, he doesn't have that fire. I mean, if he does, it's like, it's just flickering right now. I got you. Yeah. All right, well, that concludes this episode of Bale Street, but I am looking forward to going down to Baltimore in October. Yeah, hanging I'm going to make that happen. I'll bring my boy Ray Rice. You can subscribe to our no, podcast. Baltimore we oh. o- is August. Yeah. Apollo Theater is October. Did you oh, say August? October? August is Baltimore. Yeah. August Sorry. is Baltimore. Yes. August is Baltimore. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. You can follow us or tweet at us at Bell Street on Instagram or on Twitter. And that wraps it up for this episode of Bell Street. Thank you, guys.